this is incredible. I just made a 22 long minute message about a friend of mine's wife named Belinda. And I spoke a message that I'm discerning as I pray for you that there's something wrong in your heart. And I wondered, Lord, should I say something or not? And then I went based upon my past experience, which is what I did with Todd. And turns out as I was um, praying for Todd, I felt something was wrong and there was something wrong. And Todd confessed it and said, please, if God ever says anything to you again, speak to me about it. So I began to make this long message and I was wondering, when I finished it, I wondered, Lord, shall I send this? And immediately I thought, will I see a 919? I looked over at the clock on the wall and it said 916. And I said, oh, well, it won't be 919. So then I closed the recording and on my phone. It was 919. So there again, I just made this long recording and I am going to... Now, not send this recording, which I thought was a wonderful recording, but apparently I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk by the Spirit. Uh, this is showing me the importance of, even though I may feel to do something, don't. What is amazing to me about this is this is the exact same thing happened when I made a message to Pastor Rusty Nelson, where I was trying to, in love, speak to him and say, Brother you are uh, not telling people the whole truth. You're coming right up to the truth and you're stopping short of it and it's creating confusion in the church. And as soon as I finished it, I looked over and saw 525 and the Spirit said, don't move. I never sent that message to that gentleman, to that pastor. Well, I ended up having to leave the church and it sent him an email saying, I love you, brother. Uh, but I have to leave the church because there's a drastic separation between faith and faithfulness in this church. And um, he never replied to my email. My mom weeks later would see him in the church. And my mom, he went up and said, Michael's not only wrong, he's dead wrong. So anyhow, perhaps the Lord is allowing him to have for a time. And I could get in the way. Now this is what's interesting to me is, you would think that you're always called to warn people when you see something or when you think something's out of line. But perhaps God has already warned the person or perhaps God doesn't want me to be the person to warn them. But at least now I know I've done my part. I had a burden in my heart that would not go away. And I thought, Lord, I won't be able to do my work unless I make this recording. So I made this recording for this lady. And now I've done my part. And the Lord has said, don't move forward. Uh, that is incredible. Wow, 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 wow. This is very encouraging. Uh, today is September 2nd, 2015. It is uh, 10 27 in the morning, and I've just uh, come back from Green Mountain. I decided to change up my routine this morning. Uh, this morning, I began to ask the Lord, Why do I feel distant from him why does he feel distant I know that he is speaking to me but why have I not been enjoying that almost ecstasy in my soul that I have had for so long as I've walked through these difficult years there's been so many times when I have felt literally ecstasy in my soul of God's presence and I've been asking him about it this morning and I just laid before him quietly and I thought of all kinds of possible reasons and then I just said, you know, I'm not going to continue to wrestle with it. I'm going to finish doing what God's asked me to do and just keep trusting and not walking by feelings, but walking by faith. I think that the Lord is teaching me greater maturity in what it means to walk by faith. I think anybody could walk by faith if God always gave the feelings to go along with it. If you always felt faithish, it'd be easy to walk in faith. But it's not easy to walk in faith when you don't feel faith-ish. And I have not felt faith-ish in many months. And yet I've continued to move forward in faith. But in particular this morning I just inquired of the Lord quietly about it. And I, I told Him that I want Him. I want that He is the reason I'm living. Not the work for Him. Not the prizes from Him. Nothing. That I want His presence. I want Him in my life. I want to feel him more every day and I uh, decided to change my routine up this morning and I went to Green Mountain 
and it was a glorious, glorious morning just to sit quiet. It, I had about 15 minutes of absolute quiet. I mean, it was just so quiet. No sound of traffic, noises, nobody, one man fishing, and he didn't make a sound. Then I took a walk, and I began to start memorizing the scriptures, and I spent the whole time walking, working on memorizing the scriptures. Then upon leaving, coming down the mountain, I felt I felt restful in my soul. Just I, I feel quiet, a bit subdued before the Lord. But I, I was coming down the mountain, and um, while I was up there taking some pictures... I saw 9.55 and 10.01. Two times I touched my phone. Once was 9.55 while I was making a a picture or a video of something. And then the next time was 10.01. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown. And come and see the day his heart rejoiced. The day his mother crowned him. The day of his wedding. I I looked at that. And I, I was like, wow, Lord, that's good. Well, I'm driving down the road. And I see uh, another 955 on a license plate, and I, that would bless me. And then I had saw, I looked down, and my odometer was 10,322 miles, 322. And I said, oh, God, thank you. I just had read this morning, I believe, uh, maybe it was this morning, either last night, about what it feels like to know that God is pleased with you and he loves you personally and there he is again telling me 322 I get to the bottom of the hill there's a phone number on the sign 322 to confirm what I had just seen in my odometer and um, I think then I saw another 955 and then finally I was driving and I realized oh wow as I was getting out to look at the numbers it's 1033 on my odometer and I started thinking, what is that? What is that? And I'm reading it. And it points me to basically the passage that starts right before Hebrews 10.35. Which says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. And it's like God has so, been so good to me to encourage me. Don't lose hope. Since we have this ministry by God's mercy, we do not lose heart to continue to trust God, continue to wait for Him, continue to do what you're asked to do. Don't just sit and wait, but do the work that He's asking you to do, and you will see. And you know, this morning I was sitting on that bench, and I was thinking about my Laura, and there was a a couple that came out. Uh, You could tell they were in love, and they sat. They were the only other people out there for the first part of the morning, and they sat on this bench and I thought man the day is going to come when I'm going to be able to sit here with Laura and I had actually just thought about that before they went out I even thought about making a recording to Laura this morning while I was sitting there but it, it was like I, I realized wow one day I'm going to get to come sit up here with my Laura I'm going to get to take off in the morning and come up here with her and sit down with her and and um, that was really encouraging to me but I I'm just so thankful. It's like God is telling me He's going to richly reward me if I just do His will. So I'm just going to keep on keeping on as hard as it is. I'm thankful how many times God has encouraged me. So many times when it's been like this where I've been discouraged, God uses the numbers to remind me of scriptures, to remind me to be patient and to finish the work. This is an add-on recording to the one that I made this morning about God so encouraged me and I um, I had to end up taking a take my daily rest and my, my sinuses started getting tired whatever and I was laying down listening to The Holiest of All by Andrew Murray and I I just become so hungry in my heart to be uh, more holy and to experience more of Christ and I had just been praying it this morning that God would show me more and allow me to experience more of Him. And I got up, <clears throat> I decided that I would come back out here to the woods and spend the rest of my walk uh, this morning, uh, or you know, my as much of my time today as possible, just memorizing, just doing exactly what God has asked me to do. And um, so I decided I'd get up and come out here and walk in the woods. 
I went into the kitchen and I had the song on by Vicky Yohi called God is so good and I started to get choked up just thinking about the truth of that and I was thinking about how much I want to please God and I literally was thinking about how I'm sacrificing everything I can to please my father and to obey him and it doesn't look like I'm getting any results and uh, I <clears throat> I would think that that was I, I, my, my point in saying that is that it wouldn't look like it to anybody that I'm getting results and uh, so about that time I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm weeping and then I, I turn around as I'm thinking about giving everything to God and serving Him and it's 111 on the clock and that just made me weep even harder and I was just so thankful I wanted to just kiss the the clock and I just said thank you God thank you so the Lord has gone out of His way today again to really encourage me and to let me know that He loves me and that He's proud of me and uh I tell you what, man, if I could just meditate on that, that gets me through a lot, just knowing that the Father is telling me He's proud of me. And what's so incredible about this whole recording, part one and part two, is I had just been thinking this morning, you know, oh Lord, it's been a little bit since I've seen, you know, 322 or 111, and to know that you're still proud of me and... and, uh, love me. I had just thought about that this morning and then God has gone out of his way to to let me know this today and I'm so, so thankful for it. So unbelievably thankful. And uh, so now I'm in the woods and I'm just going to walk and memorize. I, I am truly amazed, although it has taken me so much longer than I would think. And I think it's taken me longer than maybe most people would imagine. I am amazed at the amount of progress God has helped me to make on how much scriptures I have memorized the teachings of Christ I have all 31 categories memorized where if you say to me 17 I say love if you say to me 12 I say contentment if you say to me 3 I say childlike faith and humility I have them all memorized forwards and backwards and I'm about 85% I would say probably 90% actually 90% done with when you say a category. So, for example, when you say uh, surrender, I can say to you Matthew chapter 16, 24 through 27, Mark 10, 28 through 30, and uh, Luke 14, 25 through 33. I can can rattle them off, and I'm about 85 to 90% done with being able to do that for all of them. And then, of course, I know probably... I'd say with 85% accuracy, all of the scriptures that are actually in those categories. So, I'm getting very close to where I will have a complete grasp on the teachings of Christ in such a way that I could stand anywhere to have a conversation with somebody and have an immediate... It's incredible. I mean, I, I... I can't even imagine how that's going to feel. That I will have virtually every single one of the actionable teachings of Christ memorized and placed in drawers in my mind that I can easily access at any time when somebody were to say to me, persecution, I can immediately grab the scriptures out of that drawer. And if somebody were to talk to me about suffering, I can immediately grab that or any of these teachings, or rather any of these subjects, that people would bring up I'll have immediate access to and I'm just so so thankful for that that is truly truly amazing and so overall I'm very encouraged except for this gnat that's flying around right now trying to attack me um, so I'm gonna get busy memorizing and I feel like the Lord has just been showing me that if I will finish this work he's gonna bless me immensely so I'm really looking forward to seeing that and fighting hard for my children I miss my children a lot today I miss them every day but I do okay and today I'm really was thinking about them and how much I miss miss them and 
I want to be able to teach them. And uh, I had a little memory of how I used to teach them and stuff over the summertime. And I miss that so much. I so bad want to teach them. And my, my poor son, Tyler, he's, you know, 14 years old in just a few months. I mean, that's just, that's incredible. He's going to be 14 years old. And, uh, you know, I don't have a whole lot more time where I can really shape his thinking. And, uh, you know, before he becomes a teenager and uh, really gets set in his ways. So I'm just trusting God for all of that. I really miss my kids a lot. I've just broke out of a prayer. I've been on my knees with my face before, on the ground before the Lord, humbling myself, asking God for Him to make me more like Jesus, for Him to, the regular things I continue to ask Him for, to help me to be everything that He's called me to be. And in a moment, like in a flash, I had this awareness of the thousands of times that I've come to the Father in weakness. And it was like in this moment, I realized there is a daily bringing of my weakness to the Lord, a daily yielding. God gives us just enough grace to get through the day. Sometimes if we humble ourselves before the Father today, and then tomorrow seems to go okay, it's as if we are riding off of yesterday's manna from heaven. And it can easily put us in a situation where we drift away from daily dependence upon the Lord. And we do not know the things that we miss out on. On those days that we seem to coast. On decent circumstances. Or on yesterday's manna from heaven. There's no telling what we miss in fellowship. Or what we miss in um, being used of the Father. And I just saw myself. Just this, this revelation of fighting the fight of faith. I said these words to the Lord. I said Father forgive me Father. For the part of me. That has never lost its capacity to doubt you. I just was was there. And I, I realized that there's a part of me. That never will go away in this life. It is the part of me that is the enemy. To the spiritual part of me. It is the part of me that has the ability to think rationally. It is the part of me that has the ability to doubt God. To doubt faith. To doubt his word. To all of these things. Question everything spiritually. And I asked the Lord to forgive me for that part of me. And that was when I hear, fight the good fight of faith. And in that moment, I received a much more complete understanding of what it means to fight the good fight. Many times we think of fighting the good fight of faith as waiting for that one desire of our heart that God has perhaps promised us. Or that one circumstance in our life or in our family members' lives to change that will give us evidence God is with us. But fighting the good fight of faith is a daily fight. And in this moment, I just the the three enemies, the, the enemy of my flesh and my own humanness, my understanding, and then of course the enemy of the world and the world spirit and the system behind the world, and then of course the devil who's in control of uh, the world. And I just realized it was just like this fighting the good fight, that we have this weakness in us that by God's grace puts us in a position where we have to be dependent upon the Lord. That weakness we must yield to the Lord. It's the only way we will make it. And uh, every day can be a fight. We should never think, and every day is a fight, we should never think that we're not in a fight. And we should never think that we can just coast. I guess the ultimate takeaway from this moment is that need to go to the Father, abiding every day, no matter how green the grass looks, no matter how blue the sky is, no matter how wonderful your heart beats, there's a need daily to show up to receive spiritual manna from heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.
And it's a lot more than physical bread. And um, I just see that. I just like just had this. I don't know how to describe it. Just a uh, a greater moment of revelation and insight, a depth of insight. God is continuing to teach me and to help me to go deeper in these understandings of what it means to fight the good fight of faith and how we will win if we stay humble and dependent and weak. It is this constant admission of our weakness and bringing of that weakness to the Lord daily that will enable us to ultimately win this fight. He who humbles himself receives grace from the Lord, but the Father opposes the proud. It's 627 on September 4th, and uh, last night we went to the Bible study, my parents and Bobby, and um, had a wonderful Bible study. And on the way home, I was so disappointed with my mom's behavior. She... It's like a switch flipped when we went through the drive-thru at Wendy's and got um, Frosties. She didn't want us to eat them in the car. I asked for my spoon. She didn't say not to. I asked for my spoon and and she said, you know, her first thing was to talk about how chocolate got spilled in the first car and, I, you know, I don't like you guys eating in here and all that and... and it's that the old part of mom, her flesh just came right out. And I thought, my gosh, we just left a Bible study. We were in a Bible study for an hour and a half talking about, you know, not grumbling and how God speaks against grumbling and so forth and so on. And, of course, the only part my mom could hear was the part about where God ordained cleanliness. And it's like what she can't see that I'm observing. It's an issue of ownership. She sees that she owns that car. It's this new car, and the whole time we're driving home, well, this car doesn't have this, and it doesn't have this, and that light doesn't work, and it doesn't have this, and it's it's just this thing that becomes consuming. And there's it's almost like a grumbling, like not even, wow, I'm really appreciative that we got this car. There was just this kind of grumbling. And then about the eating a Frosty, you know, to adult men, and instead of my mom seeing it as an opportunity to make two people happy because they're getting to enjoy an ice cream on the way home. All my mom's thinking about is huffing and puffing, and literally, she was huffing and puffing like a child. And I was so disappointed, I didn't dare say a word. I just, I prayed, and I said, God, put a seal over my mouth. Because I knew that for me to correct her in that moment would be, would be, would do no good. So, I, um, woke up this morning and I started thinking about it. And it just makes me very sad because here we have a situation where that family, my mom and stepfather, have spent the last six months preparing for the end of the world, basically. They buy in gold every week. They have a garage full of survival supplies. My mom's talked multiple times about leaving the house and I'd be able to do this. And they bought clothes for living in the woods, and now it's as if my mom forgets all of that in a moment, and her only thought is, oh, if there gets a nickel-sized drop of chocolate on those seats, that's going to be, that is going to just send me over the roof. I mean, like, literally, if we would have hit a bump and I would have accidentally spilled some last night, I could see my mom pulling off the side of the road and literally freaking out about it. And it's like the old her came back in full blast, and I was so disappointed. She's made so much progress. But as I was meditating on it on the way home last night, I could I didn't even give her a kiss on the way out of the door. I wasn't mean to her. I just kind of I was so disappointed. I just needed to just go straight out the door. I was just really disappointed. Um, but then the Lord helped to remind me. I feel like what the Lord helped to remind me is learning patience. There was a there was an awareness for me of being patient with other people's learning, and particularly with my mom last night that I haven't had before when I teach people. And I've been asking God to help me to remember that I did not get to where I'm enjoying today overnight and that there were many bumps in the road and struggled. Now, I did make, I would say, better than average progress. I responded, I think, pretty well. And I think most people would conclude I responded pretty well. But the thing is, when I would mess up, I would repent. 
I would, I would feel so sorry when I messed up. And that's that element that leads to additional growth. So it's not that you don't ever mess up. It's that when you realize you've messed up, you have sorrow, which leads to repentance, godly sorrow, which leads to repentance, a turning your mind and a turning away your actions. And um, so anyhow, I, I, I rested in that a little bit that, okay, I got to remember my mom is a work in progress and I have to trust the Holy Spirit to work. And of course, there's again, there's always this question of, I am her son. I want to honor my mom, but I am essentially like the closest thing she would have to a spiritual father. The reason my mom is enjoying today what she is is because for three and a half years, I spoke the truth and I argued back against every worldly point she made. And she saw me, it's her own testimony, that she saw me live this life. So that makes me somewhat of a spiritual father to her. So I have a responsibility as I do. I correct them about false teaching and I correct them about, you know, what their thoughts were about me and so forth and so on. But at the same time, I also am learning to go, all right, when is the best time to bring this correction? Because if I don't do it in God's timing and in God's way, it can fall flat. And I know this is what God is teaching me. He's teaching me patience. And so um, this morning I'm sitting there and I can't stop thinking about it. I'm, I'm upset and I'm like, Lord, I really, not upset at my mom, but I'm upset about what I saw in my mom. And I'm realizing I want to confront this because it's, it's hypocrisy. It's, a, it's interesting. I just had listened to a message by Zach Poonin yesterday about the three leavens to avoid. And one of them he talks about is hypocrisy. And he says that the, the meaning of the word hypocrite is actor. And he was talking about if you come to church and you act a certain way and then you get in your car and you act differently, you're a hypocrite. And so what my mom did last night was hypocrisy. It was, a, it was a hypocritical, and again, immediately, as soon as I say that about my mom, I can say that about me. I have done that exact thing. I don't do that anymore. I'm not saying I won't ever, but I don't walk in that. But I can remember times when and I would go to church and I'd be all smiley at the church and stuff. And then we'd get in the car and get into an argument or a fight or I'd let my face fizzle because we had been in a fight before we got in church and and now I, I returned back to that that's hypocrisy so I'm just as guilty and that's one thing that I'm praising God the Lord is helping me to, to remember my own frailty my own shortcomings and my own amount of time it took when I think back about who I was back then if you would have tried to correct me then with what I know now I'm not 100% sure I would have been able to respond I'm not sure I would have had good understanding, and it's a mystery how I ever even got to this place. It literally is only by God's amazing grace. And trusting Him, I mean, if somebody would have been watching me, they might have thought, wow, this is hopeless. You know? And so there's something, even now, as I share this, that is a real blessing to me, because I'm realizing God is teaching me patience and with other people. I have patience for me, that's clear. I can wait for a long, long time. But I've been asking, Lord, help me to be more patient with people and help me to realize when I'm speaking to somebody, they're not going to get from where they're at to where I'm at tomorrow. There's a balance between, hey, turn away from that and the reality of helping a person really walk it out and grow in spiritual maturity, which takes time. So I think that's one thing. Then I'm sitting there. And I'm like, Lord, should I? And I prayed. I'm like, Lord, should I say something or not? Please give me a sign. Speak to me. You know, and I thought, gosh, I'm not going to see a 919 or a 525. It's not that time in the morning. And But Lord, I know you can speak to me and guide me. So I sat there for another minute or two. And then all of a sudden I, I jumped to grab my phone. I literally said, that's it. I got to make this recording. I grabbed the phone. I picked it up 622. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded. And I just knew the Holy Spirit was saying, I didn't ask you to do this, stay put. And here is an amazing example of where even though there's a principle in Scripture that says I should correct, rebuke, and instruct, and I should confront those who sin against me. And I'm not saying that my mom sinned against me because I'm not worried about that at all. But that I love her and I want her to be better off. And I want to see her grow in maturity. I suspect... That the Lord, perhaps, will be the one that will correct her. He 
He's teaching me patience with other people in the process. And perhaps maybe my mom will come to me. I don't know what the Lord's plans are. Or she'll mention it, you know. I don't know. But all I know is that as of right now, I'm not supposed to say anything. And so I'm not. And this is coming down more and more where God is fine-tuning me and helping me to learn. I just did a long recording, like a 20-minute recording for a friend of mine. Um, well, I don't even want to say who it was in case these ever become public. But somebody I know, uh, his uh, wife, and I made this long recording where I felt a real burden while I was praying for her. And just as I finished the recording, it was 9.19. It was like God said, don't do it. And so I knew that I wasn't supposed to send it. So even though it's a good thing and it's a biblically based principle and it's a thing, if God gives me a different instruction, you have to obey that. So these are even more examples of where there's a clear precedent in Scripture to do this when this happens. But if God steps in and says, no, don't do it, then somebody would say, well, God is violating His word. God is contradicting His Word. He, he says right here, when your brother sins against you, you go and show him your fault. It says right here that you should correct, rebuke, and instruct other people. It says right here, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but an enemy multiplies kisses. It says right here, better is open rebuke than hidden love. It says right here, you know, and you can just keep going on and on, and the point is that God has spoken otherwise. And this is the, the this is the critical importance of learning to hear God. I'm realizing there are things I'm doing and things I'm not doing in my walk with the Lord that I could have never gotten out of the Bible. In other words, if all I had was the Bible and I didn't have the living spirit of Christ to speak to me and guide me and give me direction, I would never be where I'm at today. It's incredibly important for us to learn how to hear the voice of Christ speaking to us and not just rely on this disconnected, independent approach to living as Christ, Christ, uh, living as a Christ follower where you simply execute on principles and rules and precepts and commands. It would be so easy. God is helping me to see this. Praise the Lord. I mean, it would be so easy to just grab the Bible and say, all right, I got my checklist. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to always do this and always do this and pretty soon you become a committed rule follower and you have no time. It's almost like you're putting yourself right back under the law where, where um, Paul says that he died to the law so that he could live for God. So if you put yourself back under well, all these rules, all these obligations, all these precepts and commands, you're missing the relationship with God. The relationship with God is not there. So this is a really interesting lesson for me all around, and I feel peace in my heart. You know, like I would feel bad, like the, 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 the concern I was having when I was sitting there is, Lord, if I don't say something to my mom, that's not right. You know, I mean, that's not right for me to not say something. Lord, is there some sort of a concern or a fear? I mean, what, you know, I would not ever want to not say something out of fear. I just don't have that in me anymore. And even if I do, I just go right past it. I'm not going to let fear of man stop me from my fears of the Lord. But what now I have peace. This is what's incredible. And the Bible says, let the peace of Christ rule and reign in your heart. So this is a, now an example of two times in just a three-day period, really a two-day period. It happened today and it happened the day before yesterday where I have felt led to correct somebody and share with them in hopes that they would repent and turn to God in this area and become better off. That's my motivation is love. And two times now, God has stopped me. I just think that that is amazingly wonderful, that God is to be praised for that. You know, that means that God is, I pray that God is going to speak to my mom in a different way, and again, maybe he'll have her, Say something and I'll be able to see that I won by obeying God because God still was going to have the outcome that I wanted to have, which was a good outcome. It's a good thing to see a person repent. It's a good thing to see a person be corrected. It's a good person to, good thing to see a person better off 
when they align their life and their thinking and their behavior with God. When we're living in hypocrisy, we got to expect consequences. We're going to lose the presence of God. We're going to lose the peace of God. We're going to lose the ability of discernment. And if we stay there, it could be dangerous. So anyhow, this was a really interesting lesson. I'm learning lots. I'm sitting here memorizing my scriptures, and I come across uh, the memory of Luke 18, 1 through 8, where Jesus taught the parable of the unjust judge, teaching the disciples that they should always pray and never give up. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit just came alive. That word came alive to me by the Holy Spirit. I put my phone down, and I just began to praise God. Him reminding me again, keep asking Always pray, never give up. So I began to pray and ask God again for the things I've asked Him for for the longest time, filled with faith. And as I'm walking through the house praying, I ended by saying, God, be praised and may your name be glorified in my life. And I said, Father, you know as my witness, as as all of heaven as my witness, Lord, you know my heart. And you know that my desire deep down is to see you glorified, to see you magnified, to see people realize how powerful you are and how wonderful you are. And it was like in that moment, I realized that God has been training me and teaching me patience and putting me in a position where I must have learned, I must learn the lesson of allowing God to glorify himself through me rather than me trying to do so. An example is, all of this work I've done with videos where I put in clips about what God has done with me uh, in the life of somebody else and all the nice music and all the this, that, and the other, behind all of that, there's always been a a desire to, to bring honor to myself but not for the reason that most people would think. Sure, there's been some of that creep in from time to time, but what God has shown me is that I have many times tried to promote myself in order to promote God rather than allowing God to promote me, which promotes Him. And I just had this huge, again, depth of insight on this, where I realize how many things I've done, how many things I have said, trying to bring honor to myself. And again, not to bring honor to myself so that people can think highly of me and that it ends with me. God knows, sincerity of heart, that my desire to be honored has been simply so that people will believe me what I'm telling them about God. The problem is, when we seek to do that, we're trying to honor ourselves. It is an ungodly means to a godly end. I remember Tozer or uh, Putin saying, "God will not use ungodly means for a godly end." And that is ungodly for me to promote myself. The Bible says in First Samuel chapter twenty, verse three, "God honors the one that honors Him." So my position has been to wait. Honor God, and you know what? (laughs) I walk right by this scripture here. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown. It's like God reminded me. When God is ready, He will honor me. I don't have to try. And God's glory is not dependent upon me figuring out a way for people to believe what I'm saying about Him. I am guilty of relying on soul power in order to see God glorified. And I, I, I know God has been teaching me this lesson for a long time. That's part of wait. Wait. Just Wait. And I'm telling you, there is nothing more exciting in the whole world than all the recordings I've made of the times God has taught me these things. He's teaching me. I didn't learn this in a book. I'm reading in the scriptures and the Holy Spirit taught me this. And this has been the case over and over again. I've seen God teach me and remind me and give me insight. As even Timothy was told by Paul, God will give you, if you don't have understanding on these things, 
Meditate on what I'm saying and God will bring, make it clear to you. He will give you insight into this. And that's what he's been doing is helping me to see that God doesn't need my help. And that's one of the biggest problems about the ministry that I started was I kind of brought all of the regular, albeit on a lesser degree, but I brought a lot of the world's ways and the business world's ways of marketing into the ministry. Everything down from, you know, just all kinds of techniques and stuff in the website and the words of copy and images and Trying to show, look at me, I've been there, God has used me, I have fallen and I have gotten back up and I have found God's help and God has spoken to me and I got to get that part of me out. And it makes me understand more and more why men like Charles Stanley and men like Andrew Murray and men like A.W. Tozer and men like, I'm sure there's several other that don't give a lot of personal examples about how God used them and did them. It's a thin, thin line where you're promoting yourself. And I think to myself, you know, I have to ask myself, would Paul uh, use the techniques? Would, Would Jesus Christ use the techniques? Jesus was completely fit with not telling anybody what he did. I want to get to that place. I want to be in this place where I don't have to tell anybody, oh, you're not going to believe how God used me today. No, I don't, I don't need to. I've already lost that need to do that a lot of times with my parents. I used to tell them a lot of the recordings and I would tell them a lot of, you know, the things that, oh, listen to what God did. And now I'm getting to that place because I know I still had a part of me that wanted them to know God was using me. Because like, if I don't let them know, who's going to let them know? That's the way I felt. And that's the same way I felt in the ministry. Like, if people don't know that God's using me, and I don't share some of these testimonials, and I justified it. I heard Greg Laurie, he does that a lot. He'll have, you know, send an email to Greg, and has God used Greg's teaching in your life? Help, you know, blah, 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 blah. Send the testimony, and the testimonies are great. But it does build up Greg, and... um and I just am wondering if I even need to do any of that. Rather than if I could just put out there what God is asking me to teach without having to, like even these recordings, I don't like them now. I, I know why God has stopped me from doing these recordings where people contact me, I make them a journal recording, and then I put it on the internet without you know using their name. But that still is a promotion of me. Yeah, there may be some good information in it, and the average Christian won't look at that and say, oh, this guy's promoting himself. But that still is a desire to say, look at me, I'm, I, I have spiritual insight, and I, these people come to me for answers. That's pathetic. It is absolutely pathetic. And I am telling you, the, although I am nothing right now to anybody publicly, it's it's. It's one of the sweeter times because God is doing a deeper work in me. He's teaching me how to get every need met from Him and Him alone. Not from a wife, not from my children, not from my parents, not from friends, not from people that I'm serving and giving me all kinds of feedback, not from public you know, knowledge, not from anybody asking me to speak. Nothing except for God. Now... I want to learn to live like that at all times where I don't need the the approval and I don't need the human approval anymore. But there's times where I think, oh, I wish wish that person knew that I could help them this way or I wish a prophet did have honor in his own hometown so that these people would listen to me. And I think about that even with my own neighbors. You know, who would listen to what I have to say? So what am I going to do? Promote myself? No! No! When I look at men like Tozer and Andrew Murray, and I look at George Fox even, George Fox wasn't running around telling people what he was doing. He was just doing, and God was showing up, and it was God that was honoring him. God honored me with my testimony. There is no doubt that God, when he did the 777-day thing, which is still not a part of my current testimony, there's no doubt that that was one of God's ways of showing I am with this servant. 
So if all I did was tell that story, I didn't need to throw in the clips of Gustavo and Carol Ann saying, oh, Mike has this great relationship with God, and oh, Mike is, you know, I didn't have to do that. Makes me want to redo the whole video and speak with much more humility before God and explain to people, you know, the principles behind it and not make it so much trying to show, oh, I'm the overcomer. Oh, I'm, I have the great relationship with God. Oh, God did these good things. No, I, I, I see this now more and more. I've been seeing this. This is one of the reasons why God is asking me to stop doing the ministry stuff until he can work these things out of me and work the light of how he sees it into me. And I'm starting to see it. And this is the lesson. Don't promote yourself. Don't try to honor yourself. Simply wait for God to honor. I think about like even Shattered Magazine, how I thought, oh, well, this will be more honor for me. Uh, I'm writing in the magazine and this shows God is with me. No, it doesn't. And I think of Psalm 23.3 where it talks about He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Not for my name's sake, for His name's sake. And I want Him to be honored. Again, the problem is my personality, my passion... My zeal for so long has been to make things happen, whether it be in business or relationships or fixing something around the house. And I have brought that same attitude into, quote, ministry. Promote, get out there, do something. And God the whole time says, no, sit. He's been teaching me. And I am so thankful for this. I think all the times now, I've had many times I've thought back, what if I would have just kept going? What if from the beginning when I started doing these daily videos, I just kept going. I couldn't see how much then I was still working for my own honor. I couldn't see how much wisdom I still lacked. I couldn't see the immaturity in some critical areas in my walk. And what if God would have, what if I would have just kept going? I could have become somebody that's popular and had a bunch of followers and, oh, lots of honor and, oh, God could have used me, but God could have completely been disappointed with me and my heart growing more and more corrupt, more and more filled with pride from seeking and receiving human approval. And now I'm thinking to myself, here I I stand for months at a time unknown to anybody. Yes, I have a couple videos. I've thought about deleting every single one of them because they all need to be redone. God has been teaching me so many things. And I want to speak to people different. God is teaching me more patience for people. He's teaching me all kinds of things. But also, rest. Wait for Him. Suppose God wants to use me one moment to raise somebody from the dead through prayer. Or suppose God wants to use me one moment to raise somebody from the dead through prayer. Or... Yeah, like maybe your wife, Persis, in the year 2020. I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying anything. God can do anything He wants to honor me when He's ready. And that way I will know it was God honored me, not me honored me. And I really don't desire any honor for myself. I don't. If I lived in this house and nobody ever knew me ever again, and all I had to do was study the Bible and speak to my father, I would be tickled pink happy. But if I'm to be used, I desire for people to listen to what I'm going to say. And I now have to just trust that just like when you read Andrew Murray's books, man, you don't have to ever hear a single story about Andrew Murray in his books to know, wow, God was with this man. Let it be that this is something I remember. He doesn't tell hardly any stories of his own in these books. And yet when you read it, you know This is a man who knows God better than anybody you've ever read before. I mean, him and Tozer both. And God honored them much after they died. Perhaps that will be the same way with me. Protecting me from my pride and protecting me from the evils of Satan. You know? I don't want men's approval. I don't want people saying, Oh, you're such a great guy. You're so obedient. Oh, you're so trusting. Oh, you're such a good community. I don't want any of that. I want people to say, Michael, God is so good. You make me want more of God. 
You make me want to trust God more. You make me want to obey God more. You make me want to surrender more. That is the desire of my heart. That is the desire of my heart. Even if I have moments of stepping out of that into a carnal fleshly desire for myself of some way. No, the overriding foundational desire of my heart is to see my father glorified through the desiring of his people. Through them desiring him more and giving up more and surrendering more and finding more. This is the passion that God has given me. And I have to trust that if God has given me that passion, he will also give me the promotion when he's ready. And I am so thankful for this lesson. Praise God. September 6th, 2015. It's 11.35 in the morning. I'm on my way to the mountain this morning to go spend some good quality time with the Father. I uh, finished up watching a couple of documentaries I started yesterday that were very compelling and very well done as far as uh, very well studied from using actual writings and actual original source documents and writings from books. It was very well researched and it was a series of movies. Uh, One was called um, A Light in the Dark and it's about the story of the Bible, the unknown story of the Bible and how it came about. And then, of course, the other one, the sequel to that was called um, Tares in the Wheat. And it was really, both of them were really a very compelling account of the evils of the Catholic Church and how basically it was the story of the Reformation, you know, and how the Reformers began to study the Scriptures once it was made available to them, uh, that they then began to conclude back in the 1500s that, and it had been done this way by the Waldensians and the Anglicans, or I forget what they're, not the Anglicans, but the Algensians, the Waldensians and the Algensians were kind of the first groups of Christians that really were maintaining the early church practices and the purity of what the early church was supposed to be as laid out by Christ and the apostles in the book of Acts. And then the church came after them and hunted them down because they began to realize that the teachings of the Bible were completely contradictory to what the teachings of the Pope was. And that everything the church, the Catholic church had stood for was anti-biblical all these practices. So they began to stand up and and basically the church slaughtered them. And then so that lies dormant for a few hundred years and then of course the Reformation starts in the 1500s and uh, with Martin Luther and a couple of other guys. And from there you begin to uncover these evils and of course you see the evils of the church you know the papacy starting in like 606 is when everybody believed it started and from there, the evils where they've, they've, it's estimated that they've killed upwards of 50 million Christians. Uh, it's unbelievable to think about it. The whole time I'm watching this, I'm trying to reconcile all these facts and uh, understandings in my mind, like the fact that I have a friend who I lost over Catholicism, my friend Chris, how he has so... Um, been sucked in and as the Bible talks about that uh, he's bought into the delusion that God has sent because they have not loved the truth and so God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and uh, you see what a lie the Catholic Church is and I tell you what's amazing to me about this whole thing is how much it has been suppressed the truth and how people have become so tolerant of what they believe to be reformed evil in the Catholic Church because the evils of the Catholic Church are, are evident. They're self-evident. Anybody can can look at the, the, the Catholic Church and you look at the brief histories and even in contemporary days with all of the homosexuality, upwards of 70% of priests are expected to be homosexuality. The over billions of dollars that were spent in the United States alone in legal fees by the Catholic Church to defend against and pay restitution to child abuse, sexual abuse victims by the priesthood. 
So when you when you and then not only that, but the the links to Hitler, the links to communism, the links to all the different world leaders, uh, the the love of money, the secrecy, the 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 pompous. Oh my goodness, the pompous attitudes and the arrogance and the of, of just what the whole Catholicism thing stands for. It's complete. You set aside the commands of God to honor the traditions of men, Jesus Christ says. And this is exactly what would be said over these Catholics today. And I think about the 1.3 poor billion, the the poor 1.3 billion of them that have been deceived into believing that this is of God. And so here's my main point that I feel like I need to teach people, which I kind of already have started teaching that I find that it's amazing that none of these amazingly well-done documentaries ever pick up on. They give you all of this history. The problem is, as soon as you produce a documentary like this, there are 10,000 Catholics who are well-educated in their own biased educations who rise up on websites and chat rooms and they begin to dissent against this and refute it and argue against it. And... They come up with, well, no, this is really, everybody knows that the Council of Trent, this is what happened. Well, no, everybody knows that the Pope never said these things. Well, everybody, and they come up and they just argue back and forth. So no matter what this guy, Chris Pino or whatever his name is that produces these documents, no matter what people say, historically, when you try to argue these points, I don't think you can catch as many fish arguing historical facts as you can with what Jesus said. And I don't see anybody teaching how to refute Catholicism, Mormonism, you know, Seventh-day Adventistism, you know, uh, uh, any of these false religions of the world with the one way Jesus Christ taught. You will know a tree by its fruit. If people would just listen to that one teaching of Jesus Christ... Where Jesus says in Matthew 12, 33, make a tree good and its fruit will be bad. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. I hope I just said that right. <laughs> I think I said it. <laughs> I'm driving down the road trying to pay attention to traffic. And I think I just said a double, almost like a double whatever. But anyhow, he says, make a, fruit, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything that is good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He says, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. He says this in six to eight different places, six unique places, but about nine to ten, I've counted it up, nine to ten ten different places, Jesus Christ talks about Knowing a tree by its fruit. Six like unique separate places in the Gospels that he mentions this. And when you look at the fruit of the Catholic Church, everybody could say, well, everybody has rotten fruit. Well, to a certain extent, everybody stumbles. But even in Protestantism, if you have a person who's characterized by rotten fruit, you'll know them by their tree. They're rotten. By their fruit, they're rotten. So this goes for Protestants. It goes for... Catholics, it goes for anybody. But when you look at the Catholic Church as a whole, and you look at the devilish fruit, not just, oh, they made a couple of mistakes. There's no such thing as saying the Catholic Church made a couple of mistakes. How do you erase 50 million people in cold blood and slaughter them because they believe the Bible and say, oh, we made a couple of mistakes? To hell with that. You're not kidding me. That's not mistakes. That's intentional, blatant wiping out. That's that is the devil. That's not even that's not even something men could be good enough to do. That's the devil behind that. Then you look at the money issues, you look at the selling of indulgences to build St. Peter's Cathedral. Oh my goodness, what kind of another evil is that? Then you look at all the sexual abuse of the children, the celibacy which is a false teaching of priests. That's a false teaching right in the Bible. It teaches that that's a false teaching to say that men should not marry for those reasons. And then all of the homosexuality, 
And now the known Satan worship that happens at the bottom of the cathedral, I mean, at the at the, the lower levels that people don't know about. I mean, there's just so many things. The fruit is rotten. Trying to pervert the scriptures, suppress the scriptures, saying all these horrible things about the Bible, making the Pope out to be that he is the, the vicar of Christ, Christ in the world. That's what Antichrist means, either the replacement of or the substitute for. He is a he's a devil. And people can already say, oh, how could you dare say that? Well, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. And God forbid that we should align ourselves with a harlot, the prostitute, I mean, are there not a plenty of scriptures have nothing to do with them? Second Timothy chapter 3, 3, the scoffers in the end times, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, arrogant, not lovers of the truth, disobedient, disobedient, all of this have nothing to do with them. Do not be unequally yoked with that of a non-believer. Well, how do we know what a non-believer is? In Titus 1.16, it says they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. When it says that they deny even the Sovereign Lord, it doesn't mean they deny Him with their mouth. They deny Him with their life. They claim Him with their mouth, but their life and their practices completely deny Scripture. So, deny Jesus Christ. So I think to myself, if people could just learn this one teaching of you will know them by their fruit... And you look at these fruits, the rotten fruits, you know the tree is rotten. And the Bible teaches in Romans chapter 1, when you, you're going to be guilty if you approve of those people that do those kind of things. In the book of Revelation, it says, come out from her so you do not share in her sin, speaking of the, the harlot. I mean, it's unbelievable to think about how you know, and my brain just goes, oh, God, this is horrible. I feel like I need to go warn somebody. And you know what? People have been warned. There's over 100,000 people that have seen that video. There's been thousands of books written about this. Historians have been talking about this for years. People know. Many voices have risen up and said the Catholic Church is this, and people don't want to hear it. They've bought into the lie. The whole world, as the Bible says, has been led astray. All the nations have drunk the wine of her adulteries. What nation could we point out that Catholic Catholicism is not, you know, overtaken? There's very, very few. And um, I think the thing that's so amazing to me is the darkness of all that evil, the reality of it. And yet you leave your house in this little Pollyanna yard and your pretty little flowers and your sprinkler going and, you know, the cars driving and... You know, the dogs pooping in the yard and and people mowing their grass and picking up sticks and packing their cars to go on their vacation. And you just look at this and when you contrast, it's like people don't see it. I People think I'm an idiot. They say, oh, you're radical, you're crazy. I'm sure people would think that. But when I look at what how I measure with what I know the devil is doing right before people's eyes. And then he's got so many people distracted with the comforts of the world and the pleasures of the world. They totally don't even understand the reality of the evils going on even now in the, in the global plan of, of Satan taking over and taking as many people. And, and when Christ shows up, it's going to be too late. I mean, and there's part of me that, honest to goodness, when I read the scriptures, I say, what's the point of saying anything to anybody almost? There is so much about Jesus Christ. There are so many thousands of videos on YouTube trying to tell people the truth. There are churches on every corner. I mean, it's like people don't even want to hear it anymore in America. People have heard the truth too much in America. And sometimes it makes me feel defeated, like, what's the use to even bother with and and really just try to get those that are that are really trying to be faithful help them stay faithful to the end i mean honestly i know what i'm saying is not true i mean in other words there are people that are converting but man it feels overwhelming 
I just want people to know the truth. But I mean, the, the, knowing this, what I know about how hard it is to be a Christian, how easy it is to be deceived, 99 to 100, I think about how hard it is to become a Christian. I mean, it is so hard to become a Christian without God doing a supernatural work. It's impossible. I mean, that's that's just the truth. Duh. No one can come to the Father unless, you know, can come to me unless the Father has first enabled him. John six sixty five. But I just think about how difficult it is for even Christians to make it because they've been so deceived. And people want to say, well, you just want to learn about the darkness and you just want us to focus on the evil. And I, I read this quote from a man that says, it is hard to drag people into the light that are living in the dark. A man living in the dark does not does not favor much the man who wants to drag him into the light. That's what it is. The, men, the man living in the dark does not favor much or enjoy much the man who wants to drag him into the light. Man, isn't that true? Goodness gracious. <laughs>